But today we're going to talk about this idea of countering Jesus. As you look through the scriptures and you look through the New Testament, uh, Jesus made an impact wherever he, did, he went. Any person that he met, it seemed like they left that encounter different. And we can learn some amazing things from the encounters that we see that Jesus had. And oftentimes we want to look at our circumstances and we want to look at what we're going through and we want, to get, we want to begin to define our life with Christ based upon what we're going through rather than who Jesus truly is and what he is really like. And so today we're going to continue to explore those who encountered Jesus. And I hope that we'll discover a bit more of who he really was and how we can know him more deeply. When you think about the gospel, realize this, that the gospel is defined only in the light of who Christ is. What I mean by that is oftentimes we want to define the gospel or we want to define Jesus according to what we think the gospel is. But when you look at Jesus, you're going to get a revelation of what the gospel truly is. When you saw how Jesus was and what he did and who he encountered and how he impacted the world, you realize, man, what the gospel really is. And if we want to know the essence of what grace is and what truth is, all we need to do is look at Jesus and look at who he was and how he lived. Jesus came to bring peace. Amen? That's what he came. He came to bring peace. He came to restore humanity. He came to save the sinner. He came to rescue the lost. He came to deliver those who are bound. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. In Luke chapter is Luke chapter 4 there. Luke chapter 4, uh, I think it's 17 and 18 if it's on there. I'm not sure if it is, Johnny. Luke chapter 4, 16, it says that Jesus, he came and he looked at the scroll. And when he picked up the scroll, it says that he found where it was written of him. And it says these words, and I want you to listen to this because I don't want us to lose sight of when Jesus is in our life, what Jesus is actually doing. And it says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is what Jesus was reading from the book of Isaiah. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty of those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus came, as he did for all of us, to meet us right where we are, with his presence and with his power, so that he could rise us up to represent him in this world. Jesus said to the disciples, he said, it's actually better for you that I depart, so that when I depart, I will send my spirit that will in, be infused in every single one of my sons and daughters to represent me wherever we go. But remember when we, rep when we encounter Jesus, who are we encountering or what are we encountering? We're encountering love. That Jesus is the embodiment of what love is and how love would act and how love would respond. So the key for all of us is not just to act like Jesus, but to encounter Jesus so that when somebody encounters us, they don't encounter Justin. That is the longing of my heart is that somebody for for just a moment that they have with me, would catch a glimpse of who Christ is. Not because I'm some great Christian or because I said the right words, but that because I actually encountered Jesus and because I encountered him, it actually was felt by those that are near to me. 
People need to encounter the Jesus that lives on the inside of us. They need to encounter love. In Hebrews chapter 1, I believe this is on the screen, Johnny. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Jesus, he is being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his purpose. If you want to know who God is, and if you want to know how God is, and what he's like, all we have to do is look at Jesus. And Jesus will now begin to reveal to, who, to, to us who the Father is, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. If you didn't see it in Jesus, you didn't learn it from him. This is one of the statements I want to keep as a thread throughout this series, is that if you did not or do not see it in Jesus, you did not learn it from him. Which means this, you learned it somewhere else. What that means is this, is that if you feel like, you know what, I have a right to be hurt by so-and-so, or I can't believe they did this, or somebody said this to me, or they didn't do that to me, or you know what, they deserve this. If you don't see Jesus like that, you didn't learn that way from him. If you're not moved by compassion upon a world that is dark, but you're able to take your finger and point your finger at so-and-so and say, you know what, they are wicked and they're evil and they think like this. If you don't see that in Jesus, you did not learn it from him. Which means this, you learned it from someone else. We have learned how to be hurt. We have learned how to be stressed. We have learned how to be fearful from what? Who we've learned them from. And it's not Jesus. Now I say all that for a reason because I want you to realize that when you see how Jesus was, the key is for us now to learn that. Even though we may completely see something contrary to that, or even though we may feel something contrary to that. I want to take you on an encounter that Jesus had with a woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. If you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. In verse number 1 it says these words, But when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, now early in the morning, he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and he was teaching them. So I just wanted to give you the setting that he was in the temple. All those who were coming to the temple, they came, they sit, sat down, and now he was teaching them the kingdom of God. And it says these words in verse number three. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him. You know, oftentimes we don't identify with the scribes and Pharisees in our actions. But at times in our heart, this is us. This is how we feel toward people. This is how we judge people. This is how we have an opinion about a certain group of people or a certain way of people. And it says the scribes and the Pharisees, they brought to him a woman who was caught in what? I just want you to get a picture of this. Imagine that somebody busts through those doors right now while I was teaching with a lady that you know, okay? Someone that's close to your family. 
She has barely anything on, and somebody brings her here before us and says, this one that you know, your friend, was now caught in adultery with somebody else. Can you imagine what was the intensity of that environment? Can you imagine what was, must have been felt? That the scribe and this Pharisee, they brought this woman. They didn't bring the man for some reason. They brought the woman before Jesus. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, all this was just to try to trick Jesus. It had nothing to do. And I want you to see how ugly the world can get when we act like this. It had nothing to do with trying to restore the lady or trying to even bring justice. It had everything to do with trying to catch Jesus in something. He, she, they said, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. I don't know how that's even possible for them to know what was going on, but they caught her in the very act. And they said to him, or they said, now Moses, in the law, commanded us that we should what? Or that she should be what? Now, they, they, they're, they're presenting a, a challenge to Jesus. We brought you somebody, and Moses says this, Jesus. It commands us that one who is caught should be stoned. What do you say? Because if he said, let's judge her and stone her, then he's already guilty because a Jewish man had no right to bring a judgment according to the law. And so he was already wrong if he was going to say judger, and if he didn't, then he's against the law that God gave to his people. And they said, testing him, that they might have something which to accuse him, but Jesus, he stooped down. And what is cool, as I, was, as I was studying this, where he stooped down was not a place of dust or dirt. It was a place of stone. Okay, I want you to find something. They brought to her, according to the law, this one deserves to be stoned. And where he was, he stooped down. And do you remember what God did with the tablets or with the law? He wrote on tablets with his what? His finger. And I know it's, it's not in the scripts or in the text, but I truly believe that when Jesus stepped down, he somehow wrote on the stone. And what did he write? To me, I, I believe he wrote the law of the commandments. And it says, of which that they might have something to accuse him, Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. It's like he didn't even acknowledge them. She's right there and maybe... She's either naked or she has a sheet on and he is writing something there. And look at the next verse, verse 7. So when they continued to ask him, he raised himself up and he said to them, whoever is without sin, go ahead. Do what the law says to do. And I can imagine them standing over there and looking at the, what he wrote down and they're like, do not lie, don't take God's name in vain, have no idols, and one by one what happened? They're like, okay, that's not, we're not going there, okay, because I don't even live up to that standard. And what is cool, let him throw a stone at her first. Look at the next verse, verse 8. And again, 
he stooped down and what? Wrote on the ground. How many times did God put the tablets or the law on the tablets? Twice. And again, he wrote the same thing. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, they went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, which means this. The only one that had the right to stone her was who? Jesus. And yet he didn't. And the ones who didn't have a right to stone her, they actually wanted to. And I just want to ask this question as we're going through this. What stones have you picked up? What stones have you felt like you have a right to throw at whomever? Please think about this. I'm Please, I'm serious. Please think about what I'm saying and ask the Lord to show you because many of us have picked up stones in our own hearts and we're like, "They, they deserve this post. They deserve for me to talk about them to that person because they're wrong and I want to make sure someone else knows They're wrong. And so we pick up these stones and we're throwing them all day long. And I can just see Jesus reminding us, whoa, 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 don't be like the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, Justin, do you remember? Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. Show me how to love. And it says these words, look at this. And when Jesus has raised himself up, he saw no one but the woman. And he said to her these words, Women, woman, where are your what? He looked around and he said, Where are your accusers? Where did they all go? And, and has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and And here's what we've all learned growing up in church and going to church is, hey everyone, uh, I just want to encourage you, uh, please stop sinning, okay? Uh, Stop sinning, live righteous and live holy. Go out and be and do what God has called. Go and obey God. Go be more devoted to God. Go passionately seek after God. Put God first inside your life. Go after Him and be light to the world. And what happens is, is we put this before this and when you do that you live a life trying to live up to a certain level so that you're not condemned by the one who condemns and I'm here to show you that Jesus seemed like he focused more on the condemnation than he did her sin now doesn't that irritate you like think about it I mean just if one of us I don't know who can use an example because I don't want to offend anybody Hey, let's just, she's not here, so let's use Sarah, okay? Well, I mean, because it's just me and her. Like, like, let's just use her. Let's say she was accused of that. Somebody brought her in and she was caught. Can you imagine the feelings that we would have? How could she? The betrayal, the, the she deserves whatever it is. And Jesus somehow was saying, so where are your accusers at? Oh, there's no one? Has no one condemned you? He said, she said, no one. Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. He has every right to condemn her. He said, go and sin no more. And so the power of living the life that God has called you 
is not trying to stop something. It's receiving the gift of no condemnation. Do you remember in the garden? They bit of the apple. And what happened? They got fearful. And so what did they do? They were ashamed of what they looked like. So they went and they covered themselves. And then as God was coming through the garden, what did they do? They hid themselves. And me and Tony were having a conversation yesterday of just how quickly we set ourselves up to live under guilt, condemnation, and shame. How many have ever said, you know what, I need to put God first in the beginning of the day? How many ever failed to do that? How many felt really guilty about not doing that? We set ourselves up with these rules. And then when we don't fulfill that rule, whether you said you're going to pray an hour or you're going to pray for five minutes, you don't do it, what do you feel? Guilt. And you now are driven to either re-earn your place with God or you're driven away going, maybe tomorrow, Lord. And we live with this sense, and Jesus is telling all of us today, I don't condemn you. I know it's hard for some of us to each actually uh, hear those words because you fear, well, what about the go and sin no more? That we want to focus on this, sin no more. And we want to now pick up stones according to our standards that people are to live by. But Jesus is not here to condemn you and I. To condemn means I'm actually, somebody is guilty, they're sentenced and deserving of punishment. Think about it in the courtroom. If somebody is condemned, it means that they have been sentenced because they have been guilty and they now have to go and fulfill that sentence of that condemnation. But Jesus is here to call us up to a life of freedom. Freedom from what? Condemnation. I believe it's the root of everything you face. Fear, stress, anxiety is the sense of condemnation that I've never fully measure up to what God expects of me. And we make the mistake when we put the emphasis on sin no more and it becomes our focus as though we had a good day, then we are good with God. And if we sin, then we have a bad day with God. And in doing so, we make God's grace far less amazing than it truly is. And I know in my own life, I miss the power of Jesus' simple command to this woman who just received a complete reprieve from what she's done. She ruined probably a marriage. She ruined her life. And yet God gave her a reprieve from the, the death sentence that she was deserving of. And he sent her back into her community to now live a new life. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin, no. There's a new life that I've, I've now given to you. Go back. You, you no longer have to do anything to earn this. Go now and live a new life. A life that looked nothing like the religious, but instead was formed by a new reality that Jesus, can you imagine what she had to face? Think about the, the tension. One, I'm going back into a community knowing that he forgave me, but they know what? I'm an adulteress. And so they will label, there's the one that committed adultery. When he labels her, there's the one that I forgave. Are you following me so far? So it's not the will to stop sinning that changes this woman's life. It's the gift of no condemnation. Peter Kreef said these words. He said, trusting God's grace means trusting God's love for us rather than our love for God. 
How many put your trust in your devotion and your commitment and your love for God when in fact it's, God, your love for me and it's your commitment to me and it's your devotion to me and it's the fact that you surrendered for me. And so most of us live our lives out of the forgiveness that we received among at least a few people who believed we were guilty of some kind of moral fam- failure. Family members, co-workers, neighbors, ourselves, trusting his love means tasting that the fear of condemnation that we deserved was now exchanged with the sweetness of what Jesus gave to us. It says these in uh, John chapter 3, if you have that on the screen, John, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave not his only, begotten, or his only begotten Son that who should ever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to what? Guys, I, I know what I'm saying is that there, 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 you, there's questions and there's wonderment of where this is meant to go, but I want to show you something so powerful is that God sent his son into the world not to condemn it, but that the world might through him be saved. And it says, he who believes in him is not what? Not condemned. That means I live a life with no condemnation. That is extremely important because condemnation means I deserve something from a just God. And if I'm no longer condemned, that means I'm no longer deserving of his punishment. I'm no longer deserving of his wrath. I'm no longer deserving of his rejection or disappointment of me. It means that I am no longer condemned. But he who does not believe is what? Condemned already. I want you to see something I think could be extremely freeing. In verse 19 it says, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. And so those of us who are in Christ, who have been saved, have been what? Justified. And while those who have yet to receive Christ remain condemned. But by who condemns you? Okay, let me, let me just put this out there. And I know, I feel like I'm struggling today. So you guys may experience that as well. But... The condemnation, where does it come from? No, no. It comes from one thing, the law. The only thing that condemns mankind is one thing, the law. And the law now points at every single one of you and says, fallen short of the glory of God, fallen short of the glory of God, fallen short of the glory of God. And we all know it. The law speaks to every single one of us that you have fallen short of the glory of God. So it's not God that has condemned us. It's the law that he has established that condemns us. Are you following so far? This is important to understand when it comes to condemnation because we think, oh good, I'm no longer condemned by God. No, it's the law that condemns you. So you cannot be both condemned, which is deserving of punishment, and justified, which is declared innocent at the same time. You're either justified or you're what? Condemned, but you cannot be both. To be justified means that God looked at you, he looked at Christ, he looked at what you did, and he said, based upon what Christ did, you are declared innocent in the courtroom of heaven. There is no longer something against you. Declared what? Innocence. Condemned is you are deserving of judgment. So the law, are you following? Are you guys doing okay? Am I doing okay? Very insecure today. So the law actually now stands in the courtroom and says, Justin, 
broke this and he 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 broke this. Therefore, he's deserving of what? The punishment that God has. Jesus steps in and goes, but I took that punishment with me on that cross 2,000 years ago and I lived a perfect life that satisfied you, law, so you can't declare him guilty because I took his place on that cross. And now that God raised him from the dead, I can say the law has been fulfilled in me, therefore it's been fulfilled in Justin. So now when that has been fulfilled, I can go, wait, I'm good? I'm justified? And Jesus says, yes. And God says, Yes, and now I live by what? Faith. In what? The fact that Jesus fulfilled a law that condemned me, therefore I'm no longer condemned. I am no longer deserving of any punishment from God. And yet we struggle greatly with that. As a justified man, which is declared innocent in God's courtroom, will I sin again? Somebody just give me an answer, please. Okay, good. Okay, thank you. So yes, I will sin again. Does my sin now deserve punishment? Why? Because of what Jesus did to satisfy the law. So far, so good. Now look at verse number 19 of Romans chapter 3. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, so the law says something, and the law has every right to say something. It was righteous and it was perfect, and it's holy, the Bible says. But it could not save. It could reveal sin, but it could not change a heart. It can't sanctify, and it cannot save. It says, it says to those under what? Okay, so the law can only speak to who? Who? Those who are under it. So the law only can say something to those who are under it that every mouth may be what? Stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's the purpose of the law is to reveal to us that we need a, a savior. So there is good news though. Those in Christ are dead to the law. Therefore we have been justified, declared innocent in the courtroom of heaven. The law no longer can condemn me. And what does the enemy use all the time? He is the accuser of the brethren. What does he accuse you of? He accused you of not fulfilling a standard that God has erected inside of our lives. And he will set it up and he will trick us. He is first the tempter, then he is accuser. So he is constantly taking what we know to be true and he's accusing the brethren all day long you i and i easy to do a little survey is how many of you ever felt like you don't measure up how many of you ever felt like you know what you're just not going to be good enough how many are striving to become a better christian how many are striving to set up little rules to make your relationship with god better and yet all those things seem to fall short of what god has for you and so yes the law is righteous and the law is holy no one's denying that. The law serves a great purpose to reveal sin and to give us a need or an understanding of a Savior. But the law is, although it's righteous and holy, it falls short. And that holy law condemns mankind because the law only can reveal our sin. And it's interesting, the law 
actually is the only thing that gives sin its strength. How many have ever, January 1st, said, you know what, I'm going to stop? And so what happens is we, we erect laws in our own life. I remember there was something going around in the 80s of pray one hour a day. So we hear that preached, and what happens? We say, that seems like a very good rule to live by. Pray one hour a day. So we erect that in our life. I know for me it was pray three times a day. And I erected that in my life, and so it took everything in me to strive and to keep that very standard that I erected in my own life. Are you following me? So when you say to a kid, hey, do not touch this, what rises up on the kid's heart? Touch it. So the law gives what? Sin, it's strength. So the more that you try to erect laws and rules in your life, what does it do? It strengthens in us this desire to do the very thing that we just said we're not going to do. And so our lives become functional in the sense of, hey, I, I want to become better, so I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And it wrecks inside of our life, and it starts to now what? Condemn us. How, how many have ever been condemned by something that you said, you know what, I'm no going to lo- longer watch that, and everything in you is like, but I want to watch it, 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 and then you're like, oh, I'm not going to watch it, I'm not going to watch that, and no, I'm not supposed to watch it, and then what happens is you just collapse and you go, I watched it, and now you have this sense of condemnation and guilt and shame. doesn't mean that you should watch it, just means that those rules actually give you no power to not watch it. What do you say? Father, I thank you that you give me a heart, not for that, but you give me a heart for something else. I thank you that I receive a passion for the things that you have, not for the things that are distasteful to your spirit. Now what happens is I'm not erecting a rule or a law, I'm actually now moving in a particular direction. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, it says, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is in the law. And I wanted to I don't have verses for this, and I can get you that if you want, but put up that screen of I am, uh, yeah. Throughout the scriptures, you'll see it. I am delivered from the, these are all straight out of the scripture. Like, I didn't revamp these words except for this, this one. I am dead to the law. I am free from the law. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. Christ is the end or the fulfilled goal of the law. All those are in there. This is Romans chapter 10. Uh, redeemed from the Galatians chapter 3, free from the law, Romans chapter 6, dead of the law, Romans chapter 4, I'm delivered from the laws in uh, Galatians. And so what that means is that you are free from what? The law that speaks to those who are under the law to condemn you. Romans 8.31, this is what I wanted to get to. So what does this all mean? You're, You're probably wondering the same thing, right? If God, is con- if God has determined to stand with us, tell me then, who could ever stand against you? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son Jesus. And since God freely offered him as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. There is nothing else that God will not freely give to you because he gave you his son. And I am not talking about a Lamborghini and a bigger house and all those things. I'm talking about you want joy, it's yours. You want peace, 
It's yours. You want righteousness? It's yours. You want holiness? It's yours. You want completeness? It's yours. You want rest for your soul? It's yours. You want a vision and the ability to see things the way that God does it? You want to become love? It's all yours. There's nothing he won't withhold from anyone that he has already freely given it to. Now look at verse 33. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen to love? Another translation says this. Actually, I want to read it of this translation. It says these words. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Why am I sharing this with you? Because the conversations I have from many of you is this, Justin, I just don't feel like I measure up. I just don't feel like I'm deserving of this. I, I, I just feel like God is, he's just ready to, he's just done with me. He's so frustrated with me. I just never get my act in gear. And so what we're trying to do in response is, all right, God, I'm going to do better. Come on, Justin, you can do this. Come on. All right, all right, come on. Be a good Christian today, okay? Come on, come on, come on. Pray, read your Bible. Come on, we can do this, Justin. And then we just fall short of a standard that we feel like we can never meet up to. Rather than start the day and go, Oh my gosh, I thank you that I'm not condemned. I thank you that I don't have to fear one ounce of your punishment today. I thank you in Jesus' name that I've been justified, declared innocent so that I can live this life. Now allow you to live this life through me. Now I'm empowered to live this Christian life than trying to be a good Christian. Are you following me? And it says that his final verdict over them was what? Not guilty. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus. This is what it says in this translation. It says, who is he that condemns? It's Christ who died for you. And furthermore, he rose on your behalf. Who is even at the right hand of God? He now makes intercession for you. It says this, it says, For he gave his life for us, and even more than that, he has conquered death, and he's now risen, exalted, and thrown by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? At the end of the day, you realize, or I think it's important for us to realize, condemnation is the reason why you're experiencing stress, fear, anxiety, all those things that do not lend themselves to being completely secure in who you are toward God. Because there is a law that is speaking to you all day long. And it says, act right, look sharp, talk right, be right, stand right, Talk sharp. It just, it just constantly now tells us to do this, do this, do this, do this. And some of us have been very good at just ignoring it and not living the life that God has for us. And others of us just listen to it all day long and we feel this sense of condemnation that comes from above. We all have peace with God, which means nothing missing, nothing lacking. There's no more striving there's no more earning a place that we already have with God. I am not trying to be innocent. Are you following me? I have been declared innocent. That upsets a lot of people when somebody that is deserving of judgment is now declared innocent. Why? Because we look and go, no way. No way. Justice wasn't done. And the same thing in the Christian life, the reason why justice was done is because Jesus stepped in and he took that place and he says, neither do I condemn you. 
But Justin, what about the person who's living in sin? The reason why you're struggling with sin, the reason why you keep on going back to it is because you're receiving the gift of condemnation, not the one of no condemnation. You're receiving, I deserve this. This feels good when I sin. Guess what we receive? Yep. When you mess up, what do you receive? Guilt and shame and condemnation. Why? Because you are deserving of it, right? Come on, please be real with me. Who has ever sinned here in the last week? Okay, like, like you knew you committed something that you should not have done. You, you did something. What did you feel? You felt that, and it was hard. Tell me, who, who, who will be honest? Was it hard to actually receive righteousness at that time? It's, 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 it's very difficult. Why? Because I don't deserve that, and that's the exact moment I remember me and Phil were having a conversation. It was like light bulbs just started going off in my mind is how do you get the strength to overcome something that you've been struggling with? Is that when you falter and you fall, you have an option to receive what you know you deserve, which is the feeling of guilt. Because if God knows I feel guilty, then he knows that I'm serious about my sin. The hardest thing for me to do was saying, Father, you know what I did. I know what I did. And I come boldly to the throne of grace and I receive the only righteousness that you can give. That's when it broke in my life. That's when I no longer struggled with this sin in my life. Why? Because I learned how to empower through the gospel at the moment when I needed it most. Rather than I sin, I just feel so, man, I feel so guilty. Man, I, God, I'm so sorry. God, I, oh man, God, I'm so sorry. Oh, I, I'm probably going to do it again, Lord. I'm just like, oh my gosh, God, I just, and then you, you, you try to, okay, compose yourself, okay, okay, compose yourself, and you try to get back to a place where you feel better with God but you never received what the very thing you needed in that moment. You only received what you believed you deserved, condemnation. And so now we try to live our life by serving more, by doing more, by loving more in hopes that somehow, some way we can alleviate the feeling of guilt, condemnation, and shame. Let me close with this passage. Romans chapter 8, Johnny. Uh, keep on going. Is it not up there? I didn't put that on there. Here it says these words. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are where? In Christ Jesus. Which means this. God says, I'm not the one condemning you, but the law no longer can condemn you because I took you from under the law and I placed you where? In Christ. And if the law cannot speak to Jesus because he lived it perfectly and fulfilled it, it cannot touch you just as well. What I'm sharing with you guys is the power to live this life so that I can go and sin no more, not because I'm trying to live a life of deserving of what he declared me innocent. No, it's because I've been set free. There's no longer that police car that is driving behind you every single day, making sure you make a right turn and a left turn and make sure you stop at every single stoplight and make sure that you're going the exact speed limit. And if you don't, gotcha. 
That's not how we are called to live. We are called to live free, not to free to speed, not free to go through stop signs, not free to drive however we want, free from the condemnation that the law brings to us. And it says, those who walk according to the, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit in Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. You hear that? We're free from it. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did, by sending his own son, as we talked about, in the likeness of sinful flesh, on the account of sin, he condemned sin itself. What gives sin its strength? The law. He said, you're free from the law, but not only that, I condemn sin. So the handwriting of requirements that was against you on that cross, it's been nailed to the cross. No longer can it speak to you. And it says this in verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law, so there is a righteous requirement of the law, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Which simply means this, that the law was a required standard of God and Jesus fulfilled it for us so I can live my life. Think about the difference between a fugitive who is running, knowing what he did, and somebody who is innocent. What's the difference? One is complete and total rest internally knowing I am innocent. But many of us have been declared innocent and yet we, we, we walk around like, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve your goodness. Lord, I, I, don't, deserve your, I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve your grace. Lord, I, I'm so undeserving. I remember me and Jason, can I share that? For years, he would come, every morning he would pray like this. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase. Father, I'm just so unworthy and I don't deserve your goodness and Lord forgive me for this and I did this and I thought this way and father he lived eight years eight years going through the calisthenics of just living condemned even though he was completely innocent he lived that way and it brought him to his knees and say father forgive me oh lord lord I'm just such an awful sinner and lord I'm just unworthy of your love rather than I can imagine God I mean it took eight years took me a long time too so don't worry just saying, hey, you're innocent. Oh, God, I'm so unworthy. No, 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 no. No, 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 the worthy one died for you. You're actually no longer, you're not that, that, that unworthy person anymore. Oh, I'm such a sinner. No, 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 you're a saint. You're my son, you're my beloved son in whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. Oh, Lord, just forgive me. I have actually forgiven you. So come on, rise up, please, and let's start to walk as people who have been justified in the courtroom of heaven. So the accuser, the brethren comes, and you go, I'm justified. I'm justified. Well, I'm free. I'm innocent. I no longer have to ever feel guilty or condemned or shamed. Why? Because I am innocent. Because of who? That one on the cross right there. He died for me. He, he died as me. And now he gets to live his life through me. And now I get to feel what it's like to be an innocent man. And so I can read the Bible and it says, thou shalt not. And I'd be like, oh, I did that, but I've been declared. God, thank you for changing my life according to who I am now, not me trying to become somebody better. Are you following me? All right, let's give Jesus a round of applause. Amen. All right, before we sing one final song, Jim, we're going to, oh, Jim's not in here, but um, I'm going to recognize, uh, we're not going to do it 
formally today, but Michelle Weeks is over our young kids department, and I just want you all to know that is a huge answer to prayer. She's very, very good at what she does, and so next week we're going to introduce her along with Megan and Steve Shapiro, who are taking over the junior high, and share a little bit about what that means and what that looks like moving forward. So thank you, Michelle, very, very much for helping us and for moving forward. As you know, I talk very, very little. It's not because I'm anti it, but I talk very little about giving. And I just want to make sure that you don't, you don't give according to how much I talk about it. This is an important part of your life, is giving to the kingdom of God. There is not a single dollar that you can give to the kingdom of God that will not be exponentially uh, more valuable because you gave it to the kingdom. And many times we look at um, our checkbook and we look at our budget and we go, ah, I don't know how I can do this. And so what we do is we rationalize and we reason. I just want to encourage you, we live one life, one life. The money's going to go somewhere. It's going to go to our kids' sports. It's going to go to school. It's going to go to clothes. It's going to go to cars. It's going to go to mortgages. It's going to go somewhere. Somebody's going to get the money. And at the end of the day, I hope you just realize that you can stand before God one day and go, man, the resources that you gave me, I, I invested it in the kingdom of God. And I just want to encourage you that giving is still a very important part of all of our lives. And for those who consistently give, I want to say thank you. Like, I am not sharing this because... We're crying poor. That's, that, that is not even the intent of my heart. But there's needs, but this is the kingdom, and this is a way that you can actually keep on investing to the kingdom. So don't grow weary. Don't let fear stop you. Purpose in your heart to keep on giving to the kingdom of God. Don't just see it as something like, if he talks about it, I'll give. Don't be moved by me to be moved to give. Because I've watched that many years of my life is that people were moved by the pressure and it says, do not give what? Grudgingly. That doesn't mean don't let the preacher begrudge you and do it. It means don't just do it until somebody forces you to do it. Give out of the purpose of your heart, out of the joy of your heart to give to his kingdom. And so there's a few things, and I'm going to share this this week and next week, is there's needs that keep on coming in our direction. I get them quite often from people saying, you know what? Can you help us with this? Can you help us with this? Can you help us with that? And at times, it just doesn't seem to work sometimes in our budget, and we're going to find ways on how to make sure those needs are met. And so I'm just going to ask over the next two weeks, if you would be prayerful about what you can give above and beyond. Like, God, I want to meet that need. You may not even know what it is. We also would like to get a camera, because a lot of people are asking, I would love just to watch the sermon rather than just listen to it. And so we want to get a camera, but there's some big needs that are within our body. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I just want to encourage you to be a part of that and give into that. That your giving goes right back into it. We don't do a lot of stuff to make sure that we're doing this. We take care of rent. We take care of some things that we need to buy. But ultimately, we get to bless the people of this own community. And so just please take, your, take a moment and just pray and ask God to say, God, okay, what it is that I can do to meet some of those needs? And I believe that he'll be faithful through your own giving that we can meet some of those needs. So would you please stand with me this morning? Thank you for being with us. I know it was a longer service today. We had some things that we really wanted to take care of. Would you just pray with me right now? Father, I just take a moment and I bless your people, Lord. Lord, I pray somehow, some way, you are able to use my words to remind them <laughs> that you actually see them innocent 
Lord, help us to see it. Please help us to see what you see about us, that it's not you trying to pretend or you trying to, oh, I see you like this, but I'm going to act like this. No, God, you see us as you declared us innocent. And we're no longer guilty. We're no longer condemned. So, Father, bless your people today. May they walk in freedom that they've never experienced before. May they stop striving to earn something and just simply enjoy this newfound freedom that is theirs. So I bless them today. Thank you for them and their giving and all that they do for what we've felt like in our heart we need to do here. And I bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. If you do want to give, you can either give by... uh